You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. When it comes to buying your first home, everyone has questions. Can we even afford to buy a house right now? Well, I need to negotiate. How do I even negotiate? Luckily, a REMAX agent has answers. Hey, Brian, those are really good questions. They are? Thanks. It's my first time buying. I work with first-time buyers all the time. I got you. REMAX agents have more experience than other real estate agents. Visit REMAX.com or download the REMAX app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Each office independently owned and operated. Sometimes our commander-in-chief, ideally upholder of the law, fails to inspire us. Take the 1970s. Well, I'm not a crook. Or the 90s. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. And now the 21st century. I'm an extremely stable genius. You're about to hear two attorneys make sense out of a legal system some say is a train wreck. Here are Royal Oaks and Connor Oaks. This is Too Many Lawyers. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm Connor Oaks. So, Connor, we have the Rittenhouse verdict in the books. So that's uh, pretty much our top story. Yeah, We're going to be course. talking about that, plus two other big stories. Uh, the second one is, what would you do if you saw cash flying around in the air, on the ground, on the freeway? It's sort of a moral question. Mm, it was a real question a in San Diego on the 5 Freeway a while back. So we're going to get into that. This week. People could be going to prison for decades for scooping up some ones. Apparently ones and 20s fell out of an armored there were, car. There were, there were hundreds, too. There were? Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, so that's another decade in prison. <laughs> and finally, are opiates a public nuisance? The jury felt that they were awarded um, some $300 million, but the Oklahoma Supreme Court had the last word, and so we'll get into what they said about that. We're also going to talk, um, or actually, we're going to play America's Favorite Game, Guess the Verdict. And Connor, I'll just do a little tease here. The Guess the Verdict topic today at the end of the show has to do with sex in a semi-truck. So you are going to be put yeah. on the spot and asked to guess the outcome of a legal dispute. You and I would know nothing about that topic, of nothing, course. Nothing, but doesn't prevent you from guessing, right? Right. So before we get to the Rittenhouse fallout, um, you know, we've talked on this podcast about how we're very different. I, I'm a baby boomer. You're a millennial. I'm libertarian slash conservative. You're progressive. So right. we have totally different perspectives and <sighs> so many differences. One... One popped up on TV in the last week that I saw, and I, I just want to run this by you. It was some sort of domestic uh, situation. Uh, they depicted a home and a family from a few decades ago. And I noticed something interesting. On the sofa and the chair in the living room, there were plastic covers. Hmm. Are you familiar with the concept, Connor, of That's, plastic covers yeah. on sofas to you know, to protect uh, the fabric and you so on. You see it in movies and TV uh, from the yeah, past. From the Renaissance period right. in the Middle Ages. Some people yeah. sort of preserve like a living room area as though it's part of a museum. So yeah, yeah. when guests come over, exactly. they can use it. But come on, like live in your freaking house, people. Well, I thought as a kid growing up in the 60s, I thought it was fascinating because um, in all the years I visited my little pal's homes uh, when I was a kid in the 60s, 
I never saw anybody sitting on any of those sofas or, ch or armchairs that had the plastic cover. And it seemed like a colossal waste of really nice yeah. furniture. And the fact that we were covered with dirt and, Eventually, and grime you, and like, mud. If you're going to wear, if you're going to have a, a plastic cover on your, your furniture, it better come off eventually. There better be an event that's fancy enough. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I mean, what what are these 50s, 60s parents waiting for? A drop-in by the Pope? Right. I mean, <laughs> and what if he had, you know, grease on his robes because he changed a tire on the Pope mobile? Oh, sure. I'm sorry, Your Holiness. Would you mind <laughs> sitting on the plastic? Normally, we'd just tear it right off for you, but... And by the way, we're not Catholic, You're so... Filthy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I just thought that that's another indicator of the difference between baby boomers and millennials. You, This is an alien concept to you. Yeah. Um, now, the other thing I wanted to get into before we get into Rittenhouse, it's sort of a, I don't know, just sort of a civility thing. I, I made a, a call last week, and I, I want to get your input. Okay. I was hosting on KBC right. Radio, and, and we were talking about the Rittenhouse. You've been sitting in, and you're going to be yeah. sitting in tonight as well in right, future for, days? For Leo 2.0, yeah, Monday and Tuesday. So... Um, here's what happened. A guy calls up and he's talking about violence. You know, people were worried about protests after right. the Rittenhouse verdict. And he says, yeah, well, you know, I was, uh, I was a kid when the Watts riots happened back in 1964. And then he went on his, his point, which is, I'm sure, a very smart point. I have no idea what he said, but I do know. It's been a while. Yeah. He said 1964. And guess what, Connor? What? He blew it. Yeah. It was 1965, okay? Oh, my Because I was gosh. a kid in the 60s. I remember, remember the Watts riots in 19... So, of course. there I sit. And, you know, I've got I've got the flop sweat. It's just dripping off my yeah. forehead because I didn't know how to deal with it. And finally, I made I the call. Correct. I said to him, you know, you're wrong. It was 1965. Now, here's the question, Connor. Did I make a mistake? Should I have mm. just let it go? Now, if I let it go, the countless millions of people listening to me on KBC who knew it was yeah. 1965, they'd yeah. say, well... Royal's a jerk. He, he, he's a dope. He's just as, as bad off as that caller because yeah. he didn't correct it. But on the other hand... You and I know, having been students of Dale Carnegie, yeah. you never you, correct you anybody. They'll hate you forever. Yeah. So, for example, if somebody in, in dinner conversation says that Duluth is the capital of Minnesota, and you know, wrong. you know it's wrong, what do you do? Do you do you just suck it up and, and say nothing, or do you blurt it out? So, I, well, the answer mm, is you don't correct it. What would never. be the point yeah. of embarrassing the guy in oh, front yeah. of all the never all the diners? Embarrass him, and yet yeah. I. I couldn't hold back. Well, there's a difference, I think, between being on the radio talking to an audience of presumably tens of millions of people. Maybe billions. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Who, trillions, if you include ants that might be near a radio somewhere and listen to it. And KBC so, is very big in the red ant community. Absolutely. I happen absolutely, to know. Absolutely. All wear tiny little red hats. Um, but, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah. Leo 2.0 wears a red <laughs> absolutely. hat. Absolutely. Uh, but yeah, it's a little different if somebody's calling into a radio station and they're putting themselves out there as somebody who knows something and saying, I know this. You can correct somebody on the radio. Dinner conversation? Yeah, Duluth is the capital. Why not? Duluth is the capital of Canada. I don't care. Whatever, buddy. Absolutely. Have another drink. It doesn't matter. Be cool. Be nice. Don't embarrass people. But on the radio? That's different. I don't know. I'm not so, I'm not so sure about that. It just seems like people might not uh, take it the right way. All right, so let's get to our top story. The Rittenhouse verdict uh, came in on uh, Friday morning, I believe, and... Um, uh, may have been late Thursday, actually. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, right. There was a lot of reaction on uh, Friday. 
So Rittenhouse is uh, going public. Uh, I kind of thought, yeah. since he obviously hates being involved in uh, high-profile, high-stress legal matters, he broke down sobbing uncontrollably sure. during his testimony. Sure. He broke down sobbing when they announced the not guilty verdict. I would think this guy wouldn't really want to be in the arena to quote Teddy Roosevelt. And yet here he is giving yeah. interviews. People are talking about we're raising money for Kyle to sue all the media outlets uh, for defamation because they called him a, a white supremacist and so on. And, you know, I can understand why he'd be unhappy because there wasn't any evidence that he was a white supremacist. And a lot of people lied and said that his victims, that two people he killed and one he injured were black. They weren't. They were white. But Really, does he want to spend years of his life back in a courtroom, giving depositions, going to a trial and so on? No. I, I, I wouldn't think so. And no. yet here he is doing this interview. Now, he, he's doing an interview uh, where he says, you know, I'm I'm not a white supremacist. And he said, I actually support the Black Lives Matter movement. Right. I support the, the Which, BLM of course, enraged movement. a lot of people who have supported him uh, because they hate the Black Lives Matter movement specifically, and that's all they care about. But- you wouldn't in think reality, they'd flip on him that fast. You'd yeah. think they'd they'd give him a little, cut him a little slack for a yeah, few weeks. Yeah, but it really just isn't about that. I mean, people people supported him because their politics align, which is, I think, symptomatic of what's wrong in the country. Largely, is people generally support other people that they politically agree with, regardless of whether that person actually acted in self defense or instigated a situation where it was so dangerous that he should have known that somebody was going to get killed or whatever else. I mean silly uh, uh, to to uh, sign up and say, well, just because you're a conservative uh, and, and don't like protesters and I don't like Black Lives Matter and the fact that they protest means I think that, you know, you were innocent of this murder charge. It's totally irrelevant, but that's how people think. And it's funny. I, I mentioned the business about the race of, of the victims. I mean, is it just people don't do research or they don't care about the truth? After the verdict, a guy named Dequan Nichols of James Madison University, he tweeted and he said, the verdict was wrong. The Rittenhouse killed two beautiful black lives. Uh, they weren't black. They were white. And as for beautiful, you know, one of them you know, spent time in prison for child rape. Apparently, uh, he liked nine, 10 and 11 year old boys and uh, multiple accounts of sexual contact with minors. He cut a plea deal regarding some additional charges. He was out on bond over domestic abuse, battery accusations. Now, who knows? Maybe he was innocent of that. Maybe he wasn't, but I mean, and then the other guy that he killed, he had been convicted of strangulation and accused of domestic abuse. He's the one who chased Rittenhouse, hit him twice in the head and neck with a skateboard and grabbed for his gun. So Nichols, this guy, Dequan Nichols of James Madison, he's promoting a documentary for a film fest. Uh, and the, the, the documentary is called A Day in the Life of Dequan Nichols. Now, uh, do we really want to go see a movie about Dequan's uh, a day in his life? It is odd. I don't know. I think we should zoom out a little bit and, and we should hesitate to do this, that, you know, they're no angel nonsense about oh, the Oh, they didn't deserve to murders. be murdered, and, I mean, shot dead, that do we, is. Do we, are we even arguing that Kyle Rittenhouse uh, was on his phone scrolling through doing facial recognition of people on the street? Uh, checking with their masks, criminal record, checking I Checking their think. criminal yeah, record. To be yeah. like, oh, this guy's been uh, convicted and served his time for child uh, rape. But, but that was but not uppermost say, in Kyle's mind. Yeah, I'm yeah. Going to no. grant you that. So instead, he just shot two people on the street. Well, he actually shot more than two people on the street. Well, the he third killed, one, he blew his bicep away. Yeah, uh, killed two people on the street. Yes. And the uh, the question is whether he acted uh, in self defense in that scenario. And that is really all we, you know, I mean, people, uh, people. Uh, as I pointed out a couple of uh, weeks ago, two weeks ago on the podcast, while this case was still unwinding, people treat these cases as referendums 
oh, sorry, as referenda, uh, plural, uh, on the concepts of things like um, self-defense generally, or vigilantism generally, or the validity of protests, or the validity of uh, of protests turning violent, and whether that undermines the validity of the nonviolent portion of the protest, or whatever else. It's none of those things. This is a murder trial. This You're is right. about self-defense. And you cannot say, in our system of individuals' rights who matter, every single individual's rights matter, you cannot say, well, we don't want other vigilantes out there, therefore we should put Rittenhouse in jail. And you cannot say, vigilanteism keeps our streets safe because it makes looters and arsonists afraid or whatever. And therefore, uh, you know, he should go free. You can't go either way on that because it's not about that. It's about the rights of one individual and whether he acted in valid self-defense, which has a definition under the law. Can you recognize that the law is applied unequally, that Rittenhouse got every single possible break and favor that he possibly could have gotten from the judge and from the system generally? Can you recognize that the vast, 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 vast majority of Especially five vests. Yeah. uh, Of criminal defendants, especially criminal defendants uh, of color and other disadvantaged backgrounds uh, do not get those advantages, are vilified and are basically convicted before they even have a chance to defend themselves and have to take plea deals and other horrific situations and serve way more time than they should. And they don't get off in the circumstances that Kyle would have gotten off, or at least they don't get all the advantages and and favors and, and benefits of the doubt. Yes, you can say that the criminal legal system is not just it is not a is not a criminal justice system. It is just a criminal legal system. But you can't say that this is a referendum on vigilantism, or it should be, because the jury can't make a decision on that basis. Do I think that the jurors made a mistake? Yes. I find it uh, uh, very compelling that the law uh, allows for a specific set of circumstances where somebody creates a dangerous situation, so dangerous and so likely to become incendiary uh, that Somebody gets killed. They, in that scenario, they can no longer claim to self-defense. I think the jury got it wrong. I am in that way on the side of all the people you know, complaining on Twitter and this guy uh, that, that you didn't uh, – who's promoting his, his documentary that you, you cited um, uh, who, who obviously got it wrong and said that the victims were black. Uh, you know, it was a, a, a Black Lives Matter protest. It was a, a protest about police brutality. But the, the, as, as, the, um, as one of the founders of critical race theory uh, said, actually, in an interview in the 80s, uh, he said, the injustices that are uh, – uh, that are, are committed against minorities in this country are stark examples, and I'm paraphrasing, stark examples of the kinds of injustice that are uh, committed against all people, regardless of race. And that is why, uh, uh, or economic status, and that is why um, it, it is important to look at the legal system through a racial lens, at least some of the time, using tools like critical race theory in order to understand, wow, if our legal system can railroad this person but doesn't railroad that person, we should think about the differences between those two and the fact that one of them is white and one of them is black can be a factor. That's the sort of thing that critical race theory says. And I think Kyle Rittenhouse's verdict is a stark example of that. When we come back, we're going to talk about how the New York Times uh, racial um, lens was a little blurry. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. But first, Connor's going to tell you how to rate and subscribe to Too Many Lawyers. Check us out on whatever podcast platform uh, you like to use. Uh, if you're on an iPhone, which the vast majority of people are, um, that means... Uh, 
you go to Apple Podcasts and you found us. Um, and there's a button on that page that says, join Too Many Lawyers. Um, you don't have to pay money. You don't have to subscribe and, you know, sign up and put in your credit card or anything. You just hit join. And that means they push the notifications straight to you and you get the apps, uh, the, uh, the uh, episodes downloaded through the app every week. And uh, we really appreciate it. It helps our numbers out. We like to see that number go up because it makes it feel good. Um, and uh, we look forward to seeing all of your reviews and comments as well. And we'll be right back. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Roy Lopes. And I'm Connor Oates. Talking about the reaction to the Kyle Rittenhouse verdict. And uh, I was making fun of one Dequan Nichols uh, because he's making a documentary, A Day in the Life of Dequan Nichols. Yeah. You know, Connor, if it weren't for COVID, I'm sure I'd go see it at the yeah. Cineplex. Yeah, but, you know, I don't sure. want to be in an enclosed room with a bunch of people who might sneeze while they watch Dequan's life story. But so he's got an excuse because, you know, he's not a fancy journalist. So he, he kind of messed up on the racial issue. He thought Kyle Rittenhouse's victims were black. Sure. Well, now we turn to the New York Times. Uh, Farad Manju, the New York Times, wrote a column uh, a week or so ago. And he said, um, I've spent the last couple of weeks riveted by the murder trial of Kyle Rittenhouse, the white teenager who shot and killed two people and injured a third during a night of BLM protests in Kenosha last year. Now, that's interesting. Um, Manju thought the race of the shooter was worth mentioning. He was a white teenager. And yet right. he didn't mention the race of the victims. And I, you know, do you think that's a little strange, a little suspicious? Was he just rushed uh, toward his deadline? Hmm. Or is there some agenda that the uh, New York Times possibly would have? Similar to MSNBC's Joy Reid uh, agenda. She um, said on her primetime show at the start of the trial, she hoped there was uh, something pro Rittenhouse's prosecutors could do to make sure this doesn't wind up being a jury that essentially approximates the Emmett Till jury back in the 1950s. Meaning Excuse an all-white jury, yeah. Yeah, I mean, white guys killed black Emmett Till, right. and then the white jury let him off and so on. Again, in sort of throwing logs on the, on the fire, fueling the anger from a racial yeah. issue. I mean, why I, would people do this? I don't see this as problematic at all. I don't think see, either of these headlines or quotes it pulled, you know, out here uh, uh, talking about the race of, of, of uh, Cal Rittenhouse, white guy, but not mentioning the race of the uh, uh, victims is problematic even. I mean, you could include that information, but there's a massively long history in this country of white people killing white people who have stood up for the rights of marginalized peoples. There are a lot of examples of people being murdered or maimed as a result of standing with, you know, sitting at lunch counters with black people during civil rights protests, uh, helping the Freedom Riders get to and from uh, their protest locations. People died. It, white people died because it. You uh, the, the phrase race traitor exi exists for a reason, because it is very important for racists to draw a line and say, white people, you better be on our side of it or you're dead. You're you're, you're dead to us or you're literally dead. And that's very important. So, no, it, the fact that these people were out during a protest for Black Lives Matter for the notion that police brutality is wreck and that it is unfairly uh, wreaked against black people and other minorities in this country, uh, the fact that they were white doesn't make it not about race. This is absolutely a race issue. So analogizing it to an all-white jury uh, that let off white perpetrators, I think, is extremely apt. I think uh, talking about these people, um, you know, mentioning that, that, that Rittenhouse is white and was at a Black Lives Matter protest with a gun— 
is a good you know, thing to bring up because it highlights the fact that this case absolutely is about race. There's no way to extricate the fact that somebody goes to a protest about race and shoots two people with a rifle and say, well, this wasn't about race. He was just protecting Walmart. Get out of here. Like, are, are we serious? Or do we think that, that Rittenhouse doesn't care about race, doesn't know race, doesn't understand race, is colorblind? Nobody's colorblind. That's not how it works. It's not real. It's, it's a, the notion that you can you absent yourself. How do you know he doesn't really support the BLM? I'd say maybe he, movement. Maybe he does support the BLM movement uh, in theory. Maybe he supports it uh, in the in the abstract, the idea that, yeah, police should not be committing police brutality against black people and supporting Black Lives Matter means recognizing that they do it at an unreasonably high, inexplicably high rate, a rate that only is explained by the presence of systemic racism in the society. So if he truly believes that, but he so then his actions make very little sense that he traveled to uh, a, a Black Lives Matter protest in order to protect the local Taco Bell, presumably from looters and arsonists, as he said. Uh, but let's say that, that that's true. If you want to try and reconcile those things, that doesn't make the case not about race. It makes the, it makes the case about what Kyle Rittenhouse believed was worth doing to protect uh uh, a, a Walmart or a Taco Bell or a Dick's Sporting Goods or whatever else in the face of massive uh, protests throughout the country about race. So to say uh, the, the, the rights of uh, people to march in the street are less important than the value of the plate glass in front of Dick's Sporting Goods uh, and the, 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 the display, the baseball bat on display in the middle, that is a statement about race and, and the value of black lives. And I, I don't think it's impossible to extricate those things. And so I, I don't find it compelling at all that so, these you know, people left out the race of, of the, the victims. Uh, sure, this, this filmmaker's quote that we found, a random person I've never heard of, he got the race oh, of the victims heard wrong. You have before now, but That's you're going to be hearing from him He's when famous. the day in the life of yeah. Ivan Ivanovic, no, that it was Dequan, Dequan Nichols. Yes. Nichols. So what about uh, race and the judge? Connor, because yeah. the judge was kind of controversial. For example, yeah. um, you know, they order in food sometimes for the jurors. Mm -hmm. And so they ordered some Asian food one day. And a week or so ago, the judge said, well, I hope the Asian food isn't on one of those boats in the Long Beach Harbor. Now, a lot of people on the Twitterverse said, you know, that's racist. That sounds like he means uh, a reference to a slow boat from China. And so they were condemning him. Well, as, China. I mean, yeah. I think he's, he's talking I, about he the supply chain issues. Yeah, I it's a dumb exactly, joke, but yeah. it's not racist. Yeah, it, it, yeah, that doesn't give me pause. So, he said a bunch of things that I was uh, unhappy with specifically. I mean, the defense witness, Rittenhouse's uh, expert witness, who's about to get up and talk about firearm use, who's clearly going to be a veteran. And it's Veterans Day. And the judge says, do we have any veterans here? And the only one is Rittenhouse's uh, next expert who's about to testify right. in front of the jury. And the judge says, oh, and the person stands up. And he says, why don't we give this guy a, a round of applause for being a veteran? Thank you for your service, uh, uh, sir. You don't think that influenced? Do you think the jury thought that the judge was neutral about this guy's qualifications, credibility, moral status, that he's a hero? Sounds like a motion a for mistrial by uh, the yeah. prosecution. Yeah, what a ridiculous thing uh, Well, if you think that was ridiculous. 
ridiculous. Judge. But what? whatever. I mean, given all the benefits of the doubt, yeah, as we recognize, Rittenhouse had every advantage in this case. He's a cis white hetero man in America. Great. He's got he he is not pushed backwards behind the starting line before he starts the race. So that's what we should be so thinking about. So let me ask you this. If you think that was ridiculous, what do you think of the judge letting Rittenhouse pick the numbers of the jurors out of the <laughs> raffle tumbler? Oh yeah. Now, I, now, now the background weird, there, but, if, if folks didn't follow this yeah. little bit of arcane inside baseball. Mm -hmm. uh, what happens is normally at the start of a trial, the judge says, okay, you 12 are the jurors and you six are the alternates. Right. And the alternates pay attention because, you know, you might have to be plugged in during the trial or during the deliberations. And so, you know, we want you to pay attention. Well, judges worry that alternates don't pay attention during the trial. And Connor is a trial lawyer who just finished a couple of jury trials. You know, uh, sometimes jurors pay more attention than others. But what this judge did was he threw him a curve. He said, guess what? 18 jurors. I'm not going to let you know who's on the panel and who's an alternate. Weird. Instead, so weird. we're going to pick after the whole case is over and just before deliberations. And then you'll find out who are the real 12. Wisconsin and who weird. Yeah. So the way they do that is they take all 18 numbers, they put them in a little raffle tumbler, and normally the court clerk pulls them out. In the one time it happened during a trial I handled right. some years ago, the clerk pulled out the numbers, and that's how we knew. Well, guess what? This judge has a habit of letting the criminal defendant reach in with his grubby fist and pick out the numbers of the real 12. Yeah. And he explained it, the judge did, by saying, well, 20 years ago, I had a, there was a black man on trial, and the clerk reached in and grabbed out and the one person that got excluded after she pulled it out the numbers out was a black guy the one got black guy on the jury so i said ever since then i'm gonna let the criminal defendant do mm -hmm. the picking and that's yeah. what rittenhouse did well you know mm, as a trial lawyer connor what would you think you think everybody should adopt that approach it doesn't the whole the whole uh you know uh, 18 jurors who knows who the alternates will be thing that's an issue uh, that I think the the defense or the, the the prosecutor could raise and say, Judge, we need to uh, be able to make informed decisions with our uh, challenges, our, our uh, jury panel challenges. And if we don't know who's going to end up on the jury, how can we make those informed decisions? I have a right, you know, the criminal defense attorney is going to say, I have a right to use my peremptory challenges in a, a, a way, um, uh, you know, with, with as much information as I am allowed to have. But I mean, if that's the law in Wisconsin, that's the law in Wisconsin. The idea that- Well, it's his discretion, apparently. There's no law against it. I think he's sure. the only judge on the planet that who does, does it, it that way. way. Yeah. So as to uh, whether Rittenhouse should have been able to reach in and grab the slips himself- what if he was an amateur magician? Yeah, that, that very I mean, big question. Well, there was a famous case in the NBA where someone was allowed to reach in and grab a random slip of paper as part of the NBA draft, oh. and it determined something or other. And somebody got the slip that he wanted to touch wet. <laughs> And really? then he was able to reach in and discern that it was that very clever. Slip. Is that going to happen in this case? I don't think so. But having him uh, be the person who uh, reaches in and grabs the slips does open the process up to criticism uh, in some way. There are ways to judge things randomly that don't involve people picking slips of paper out of a hat. You could do it another way. There's always going to be a, crit a criticism in some way uh, about a random picking system. Uh, I think this one is pretty innocuous. When we come back, what would you do if you saw cash flying everywhere on the freeway? Stick with us on Too Many Lawyers. 
This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. I'm Connor Oaks. So, Connor, what would you do? You're driving along the freeway and suddenly everything comes to a stop because an armored truck, sort of uh, the doors fly open and suddenly thousands of little green pieces of paper with president's pictures on them yeah. are flying all over the freeway. It happened on the I-5 near San Diego last Friday morning. Uh, folks, needless to say, started to scoop up the cash. Lots of cell phone pictures of a people. Video. Oh, the, the look on their face. Joy. Incredible. Now, the cops want it back. Yeah. You know, drivers are posing for these cell phone pictures. Huge smiles on their face. Fistfuls of cash. It's like Uncle Scrooge swimming in his money bin, yeah, yeah, only yeah. on the freeway. Right. Two people are arrested at the scene. Others, a uh, bunch of folks have turned in uh, their money. The two but, arrested at the scene who couldn't get away was because they parked uh, blocking traffic. They were so excited to get out of the car and they <laughs> locked their keys in the car. So then what are they the collect, odds? They the one get... time you lock yourself out, you're on the freeway committing a crime and the CHP is watching. Well, they were all, That's just bad luck. They were very excited. So that contributes to the keys being I locked guess. in. Yeah, recklessly. So. <laughs> so the bottom line is California has a law, a penal code section that says if you find stuff, cash or jewelry or whatever on the street, and if you have reason to believe who the owner is, you got to try to find them. Yeah. And if you don't try, you have committed a misdemeanor. Yeah. Could be even a felony if Finders, it's worth more than 900. the law. Right. And uh, similarly, even if you don't know who owns it, if you know it ain't yours, you have to take reasonable steps to approach the law enforcement folks and let them know, hey, I found this this $10,000 bill with you know President uh, Polk's face on it. I'm guessing Polk is on yeah, the 10000 I'm just not sure. But uh, so I think a lot of people don't really realize that. There was a case several years ago where a guy goes to the ATM and the ATM, he asks for 100 bucks. The ATM gets confused. And they think his zip code, uh, which was, let's say, 91000, yeah. they thought that was his balance. What? The, the, the brilliant machine inside what? the ATM. Yeah. And they so they started spitting out $91,000 oh worth of 20s. God. And he goes crazy. He's a happy guy until he goes to prison because they found him and they told him to give it right. back. And he said, no, you know, the ATM, give right. it to me. Bank give error in your favor. Yeah, so like ninety one thousand dollars. I'm like guessing, Monopoly. Connor, if you were there on the freeway, you'd just start lecturing everybody about how they ought to just uh, give the money to the police. Or yeah, the I'm a bit of a stick in the mud that way. No, so this one is is okay. So literally, legally, obviously, you can't just see an armored car spewing money and <laughs> grab it, like like. Everyone knows that that's what if not you need your it money? more than the armored car that's company. That's a really yeah. good question yeah. that we will get to when it comes to whether any jury will ever convict these people. But that's <laughs> right. not the issue. The issue legally up front is, is it legal for if you are driving along the road and Connor Oaks, me, I'm driving along in my car and I get in a car accident. I fly through the windshield, bruised <laughs> and bloody, and I land skidding and sliding on the asphalt in front of you. And I slide up to you who's standing on the sidewalk and I say, oh, God, yeah. I'm very badly hurt. Please help me. And my wallet falls out of my pocket and a dollar bill falls out of the wallet. Can you legally pick up the dollar bill and be like, I found a dollar bill on the street? No, I'm, I'm going to say no. I'm going to say no. Obviously, you can't do that. Uh, poor bleeding Connor. And this is legally, there's no difference between the bank or the armored car company and the insurance company that insures it and me and my wallet. But people obviously see big faceless corporations and think it's oh, a victimless crime. Is this as close to a victimless crime as you could possibly get? Yeah. This uh, armored car was coming from a casino. Might have been Ocean's Eleven Casino uh, because <laughs> it's 
the uh, Ocean's Eleven Casino is on the on the five freeway near San Diego, uh, near where the accident uh, occurred that caused the armored car to spew cash. Um, so it might have been that uh, casino. You wow. see, it? I didn't know there was a casino like that. Yeah. You'd probably be able to go there and see George Clooney exactly. and the ghost of Frank Sinatra I playing see, slots. I see it. I see it every time I drive up the five. Okay. And so it's possible that uh, that that's where it came from. And yeah, uh, do people care about uh, uh, armored car companies or insurance companies that cover them or casinos that they were driving to and from or the bank that they were driving to and from? No, they, people don't care about that. And so when you get to a, a criminal jury uh, has this case, are they going to convict the, these people who got excited and grabbed a, a couple hundred bucks? No, I don't think they are. I think so, these people are actually going to get away. They're so never going to get prosecuted because the prosecutors know it's going to be a very hard case. So they'll you know plead to something really, really low. So if you no had to deal. guess the verdict in that situation, you'd be there going for the not guilty. And yeah. that's a little segue to our, our feature, mm-hmm. uh, our, our America's, America's favorite game favorite show. Yeah. Absolutely guess the verdict. We're going to get to the uh, opioid crisis in next week's show. So this is the uh, deal with the game. Connor is told the facts of a, a real-life case. He gets to guess the verdict, and uh, if he wins, he's all happy. If he loses, then he has to go back to the almanac and, and study up for next week's wah, wah, guess wah. the verdict. So uh, are you ready for the facts, Connor? Yeah. A trucker named Elmer Doolin was injured. He couldn't get any other job uh, other than trucking with the, with name, with name. the name Elmer. Elmer, yeah, he that's tried it. to be a you brain surgeon. Mm-hmm. A trucker named Elmer Doolin was injured when his truck was hit by a train. Sure. His workers' comp claim ran into a snag when evidence emerged that at the time of the collision, he and his female co-driver, Hazel, were having sex. Sure. Now, at the workers' comp hearing, he denied the charge. He did admit that she was in the cab with him, and that she was only wearing a T-shirt. That's it. So um, what's the verdict, Connor? Does he get his workers' comp claim paid, or does he lose his request for benefits? Great great question. Um, I'm going to say... That's well, a provocative question. It is, yeah. Look, I think that as a trucker... It's kind of a, a an all-hours job. I mean, you're driving, you're sleeping in the cab, you're having sex in the cab. <laughs> you're probably taking a piss out the window of the cab. I don't know how it works exactly, but I'm pretty sure that it's not like, you know. Have you, you... seen truck stops? <laughs> no, I've never. It's yeah, not... they've got restrooms. Some of them are well appointed. <laughs> right. There's a guy with a towel and a mint. Oh, yeah. At the truck stop yeah, bathroom. Some of them, yeah. Well, but I'm, I'm I speculating. Mean, I mean, I really, I really do think like, you know, there's a difference between you go to Walmart, you punch in, you do your work, you punch out, you go home. Versus a trucker on the road for weeks at a time and sleeping in the cab. I think the fact that he's got a semi-nude uh, co-worker in the cab with him, uh, I don't think that I don't think that uh, ixnays his workman's comp. I think he still gets his workman co- workman's comp claim. Uh, by the way, just to clarify, um, you know, sometimes truckers don't have a lot of spare change, so they don't have. A, a, tip money when they right. go into the the restroom right right and so one tip they could give instead is uh thanks for the mint um here's a tip if they ask you to haul pig sewage across the entire country say no <laughs> that would be a good tip wouldn't it that is, that so is now we're going to find out whether connor was right he's right the oklahoma yes! supreme court ruled that elmer doolin was on the job and thus entitled to workers comp See, benefits that is why i went to law Very school good. right there <laughs> To be able to appropriately yeah. evaluate hypothetical situations. So next week, uh, just to tease this a little bit, next week, uh, the guess the verdict will have to do with the case of the dismantled truck. But that's for next week, and maybe we'll talk about whether opioids are a nuisance or not, since they kill so many hundreds of thousands of people in America. 
So on that happy note, have a great week, everybody, and hope, uh, hopefully the, the streets will say, stay safe and quiet. See you next time on Too Many Lawyers. When it comes to buying your first home, everyone has questions. Can we even afford to buy a house right now? Well, I need to negotiate. How do I even negotiate? Luckily, a REMAX agent has answers. Hey, Brian, those are really good questions. They are? Thanks. It's my first time buying. I work with first-time buyers all the time. I got you. REMAX agents have more experience than other real estate agents. Visit REMAX.com or download the REMAX app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Each office independently owned and operated. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home.